This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Welcome listeners, one and all. I am Chris Hambling and I'm your host for the Back of the Nest Review Show. We'll be taking a look at some key Palace topics, a frankly bizarre mauling of Leicester City, and we're going through a selection of your questions. I won't be doing it alone though. My panel tonight is Mike Scott, DR Kerners, Patrick O'Connor. We'll be back with you after this short break. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. Hello listeners, Terence from the Preview Podcast here. We will be in your ears from Thursday night and we will be reviewing that game against Manchester United from Wednesday. And we'll be previewing our trip to Turf Moor where we will face Sean Dyche's Burnley on Saturday. Join me, Albert and Sam Hesketh. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, it is time to talk to that panel. And I have to start with DR Kernas. Hi, DR. Hello, but why do you have to start with me? <laughs> well, I believe we've got an interesting story about your dad this week. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it was, I don't know, I found it interesting anyways. I find it confusing on the day, but looking back at it now, it was, it was I don't want to swear, but weird as, you know what I mean. Yeah, so basically, yesterday, I was at the shop, and it was a quiet day, and then all, and all of a sudden, it just managed to get busy, but my dad went out because it was quiet. And then I called him. I told him to come back to the shop. He was busy. Half an hour later, he's still not at the shop. I call him back and he doesn't answer. And then he ends up calling me back. And he's like, told the police if they come to the shop, the guy ran away. I'm like, what is going on? What I said, come back to the shop. I didn't say, what are you on about with the police? I was so confused. I thought he got into a fight anyways. Like, what's going on? Yeah, he, told, he said to come back. And I was like, all right. So... Police arrive at the shop. I'm serving a customer and I'm so confused. They, there's like a bunch of police officers and they're like, what's going on? And I look at them, I'm saying, what's going on? Like, we're just both baffled, like with each other. We don't know what's going on. Anyways, my dad comes to the shop two minutes later and we find out that someone actually pranked him. I said that there was a massive fight at the shop 
And my dad saw a police car, so he took over a police car, stopped the police car, <laughs> told them to send everyone to the shop because there's a massive fight. So a bunch of police officers arrived. We a Cosmo nearly shat his pants because they didn't know what's going on. And yeah, it was just all a mess. It was all a mess. So- so who who was it who told him there was a massive fight? No one knows. You know? No one. No one. Knows. No, no one knows. But he, they knew that my dad wasn't at the shop. So I don't. But it's just weird. It must have been one of his friends because he said, "You're not at the shop." I can tell that because there's a massive fight. And my dad just fell for that and he took over a police car, just skid in front of him and just stopped it. But yeah, <laughs> the worst thing there's a customer that I was serving and he just came to the country and moved to the area and four police officers arrived and I was explaining how I thought my dad got into a fight and I looked at the customer he's like please tell me it's not like this every week I was like don't <laughs> worry it's not like the customer nearly shat his pants and left the shop so I I just I mean what what a life do you lead exactly um, such a peaceful day Paddis one it was such a peaceful day it wasn't that busy. But you know, it, it wasn't quiet as well. And then four, two police cars, four police officers, the customer that nearly shat his pants. I, I need to stop saying I'm that word. Say, yeah, you, you keep, you've said it three times now. I'm just going to say, if that was a listener, very funny. <laughs> but please don't do that again. And I think obviously that might be red rag to a bull, and you might now get a weekly wind up uh, from people in your shop. But no, hey. but no, no, it was that we won't because it wasn't someone who called the shop. It was someone who called my dad's personal number. And oh, I don't I think listeners know my dad's personal number. Unless well, you'll be, you'll be surprised. They're, uh, they're a devious bunch. <laughs> I think we're going to leave leave DR well alone there. Mike, Mike Scott, you are also here. Hello. You don't get that kind of hustle in Moolies, do you? <laughs> exactly right. The, the most angry people get is if the wings aren't quite fresh enough. And that's about it. Yeah, which they aren't. Um, yeah, in comparison, I've had uh, a much quieter weekend. A few first world problems, I guess. Um, obviously, first of all, I had a ticket for Leicester away uh, and then my babysitter fell through. So I ended up watching it on the TV. That was a bit sad. Uh, secondly, one of my kids, I'm not going to say which one, I'm not going to name and shame, has decided they're too lazy to go to the toilet um, when they need a piss in the night. So they've started pissing on their floor. So uh, that's quite annoying. And thirdly, my local shop has uh, decided they're going to discontinue Holston cans and replace oh. them with host. Yeah, replace them with Holston bottles. I was already annoyed they went from a pound to a pound ten. It's now <laughs> one thirty nine for a little three thirty ml bottle. Uh, they have lost my custom. That is that is horrendous news. But on yeah. the 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 pee incident there, I once. Uh, um, one of my housemates, and I am going to name and shame him. His name's Paul Flannery. Uh, he's a, he's an actor. Um, you might you know he's done a couple of films, um, and he's also quite well known as the guy who who started Nightmare Live, which is a live stage show version of the kids' uh, nice. TV show Nightmare. Nice. Nice. He also does the multi the MMORPG stage show as well. So you know he's 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 out there. You'll find him, and and this is the story I'm going to tell about him. When I when I uh, house shared with him uh, a few years back. He went through a phase of getting so drunk that he was unable to comprehend what a toilet was. Um, and I happened to go downstairs in the middle of the night once to our lounge where he'd sort of passed out. And I and I witnessed watching him stand sort of stand up, walk from our lounge into the sort of dining room. And there was a sort of sliding canvas type door between the two. 
he pulled that shut and took his trousers down and started to urinate on the floor. And when I asked him what he was doing, he said, get out. I'm already in here. Good stuff. Wow. Wow. I, I, that would lead you amazingly on to the, uh, the photo that we're going to discuss in a minute, I guess. <laughs> it really will do. Uh, yeah. yeah I, the, the one good thing bodily function wise is um, these tablets I'm taking to deal with my dire back. Uh, I can now take them and drink without puking into Tesco bags. So that's that's the one good thing that's come from this weekend. Fantastic stuff. Well, Patrick, you're last and you've got a lot to live up to. How you been? I've been great. A couple of things I wanted to say. I'm so glad I have a, two kids that are 23 and 26. Not going through Mike's <laughs> problems. And uh, I had a roommate a long time ago and he didn't do anything close to what your roommate did. So I'm actually doing very well. I want to appreciate that right now. See, that's the difference between people from South London and people from the other side of like the UK. We don't we don't have roommates who piss on the floor. Like we're we're we're, we're all right in that side. We're we're all mature. I don't know about you guys, but see, it's just it's just weird. There's no and nothing like that happens. Except, there. except your dad's mates who just wind him up by telling him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's different. And waste police time. Let's not forget that. Yeah, but they don't piss on the floor in a house. <laughs> you you don't know that. Yeah, exactly. You can't prove that. Um, anyway, let's not get... Look, I, I admit Crawley's, Crawley, Crawley is the Badlands, right? <laughs> those, those, are, those are the sorts of things that happen. Anyway, great to hear from you all. But let's get into discussion of that picture. Uh, if you are listening at home, if you're listening on Acast, you'll be able to see the photos pop up on the screen right now. Uh, if you're not listening on Acast, you'll still be able to find those pictures on our Twitter feed uh, and probably on Instagram as well, I suspect. Um, but you might well have seen it anyway. That picture is of James Tompkins looking down Vincente Guaita's shorts. Um, and we had a little bit of a caption competition, as did a few other few other people. I'm going to go through a few of my favourites, I think. But first of all, kind of sort of address what actually seemed to be happening. Um, DR mentioned it when we were doing our pre-show chat, and it seems to have been that um, it's the sort of the tie of the shorts, which obviously... Uh, Vicente Guaita can't tie himself whilst wearing goalkeeper gloves. However, you know, the pictures captured it pretty well uh, in a position where it looks deeply, deeply suspicious. And I've got to say this, I have no idea how many of our listeners seem to be either extras or actors in carry-on films by the looks of things. It's um, it's a ridiculous set of comments and there's some, some great ones there. Um, so I'm going to start with with the irrepressible mummy white who's gone with it's true it's red and blue which i quite like uh chewing <laughs> who you'll be you'll be, uh, you'll be hearing from later on has gone with that's quite a big boy you've got there but it doesn't compare to sacco soldier you see what i mean about the carry on stuff it's ridiculous Very good. um the legendary steve brookstein um has gone with i thought vardy was in your pocket which i which i also enjoyed nice. um, Nav has gone with, no wonder you're better at handling than Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite. Uh, Mark Skeens went with, I know Roy said he was worried about your ball distribution, but they seem to be in the right place to me, which is a, an excellent effort. Lewis, Lewis Corfrey just went with the one word, Winkle. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. It's, it's nothing clever. There's nothing clever about it. It's How just, did that make the cut? It just said Winkle. It made, it made me giggle earlier on when I looked. It was one of the first things I looked at on the social feed this morning. So uh, I probably blame my uh, my tiredness. Uh, Paul went with Nab Brighton further down than that. Any mention of Brighton quite 
uh, quite entertains me. It's been brought to my attention that frozen in a moment by a camera that this looks like I'm making a completely inappropriate type of salute. I can assure everyone I would never, ever do that. And any resemblance to that kind of gesture is absolutely coincidental. That is so good. So, so good. He's he's played a blinder there as Chris. I I very much enjoyed that one. We want to take a moment, actually, to talk about uh, the first game uh, in the U.S., for a former Palace manager, Frank De Boer, Mike. So, was something you wanted to chat about. Didn't start too well, did he? Well, we couldn't go through this pod without talking about this. Frank De Boer taking over Atlanta United. Uh, and for those that know a little bit about the MLS, uh, they did exceptionally well last season. And they're the people that just uh, sold Almiron over to Newcastle. And Almiron was... Uh, probably the best player last season in the MLS. Uh, I'm just going to quote from DirtySouthSoccer.com about about the game. Uh, He lost his first game in the CONCACAF Champions League to uh, Haradiano uh, 3-1. In Atlanta United's first CONCACAF Champions League game in club history and the first game of Frank De Boer's tenure, things went very, very poorly. I think that's all we need to say on that. Apparently, the defence was actually abysmal. Uh, they lost 3-1. Uh, they're probably out already. Um, yeah, they, they couldn't defend to save their lives. And that just about sums up everything about Frank De Boer, I think. I, uh, I read some some of the detail on that as well. And unsurprisingly, he went with a 3-4-3 formation and tried to force the team to play out from the back. But selecting players that people thought were out of position were too young or too inexperienced, leaving better players on the bench for no apparent reason. And I dare say he was probably trying to convert their best midfielder to a centre-back or something like that. Absolutely baffling. What do you make of it, Patrick? I will say as a New York Red Bulls fan, I'm thrilled he's over here <laughs> because last year they beat the Red Bulls in the semi-finals over in the playoffs and they actually won the MLS Cup. So they are the best team in the league. Losing Almiron uh, is going to hurt them, but having Frank DeBoer is going to hurt them a lot more and they're going to suffer this year and I'm looking forward to watching it. Is the hey. <laughs> is the MLS still uh, frantic? Like when I watched it like five years ago, there was no like defense at all. It's just team just attacking. I remember, and it was just crazy. Is it still like that? Or is it more tactical now? It's a it's a great question. It's a bit more tactical. Dr. Again, I I would uh, say it's the level is about mid championship level. So whatever you know, teams like you know the mid championship. But you know we've they've got players over here like Rooney to come over here, and but there are some players that can play. Mike had mentioned in the previous part about um, Giovinco, who's now left and gone. I think somewhere in the far east to play. He's probably the best player in the league. And uh, again, Almiron, you watch that kid play. You're going to watch him. You're going to be surprised. He's a very good player. And they've got another player on their side of Atlanta is even better than him a striker. So the the quality's getting a lot better. It is a little frantic, but it's you know, as an American you know, American always love frantic play, so it's fun to watch. So I mean if he's playing in the league this year, I'm really excited about that. He's a DC United uh fullback this year. So it's gonna be really fun this year for me anyway. Now the um yeah the the, the signing of Almiron from Newcastle looks he looked a very, very yeah. good player um in the little bit I saw of him yesterday. So pretty pretty impressive. But I wonder how long the ball's gonna last. I don't know if he's gonna is he going to break his uh, his record of what was it, 42 days at Inter? Not much longer for us. Um, seems a very odd way to go about things. I think I, I do wonder if you just sort of let him just let him play, you know, and sort of get the right players in the system that he wants to play, whether or not he'd actually be successful. But I think it shows 
personally, I think if if you look at the teams he, he played for and the teams, you know, the success he had with Ajax, it's all based on, you know, teams that have played a certain way and had players of certain quality. It's almost like he doesn't understand that not everyone's going to be up to that level and be able to play the system. You have to adapt to the players that you have available. And that seems to be his fault. But Yeah, um, be honest with you, the owner of the... Uh... Atlanta United is also the owner of the Falcons football team. He's not going to fire him. They don't. He's just not the uh, owner's very rich billionaire. He's not going to fire him. So what's going to happen at Hamburg? He's going to have a chance to bring in the players he wants to play. And again, because the league isn't, it's not a not the top league in America. No one really cares about the MLS as much. So he'll be able to uh, play around and do whatever. He'll be fine for I would say at least for the next two years over here, unless he gets a better job in Europe somewhere. Yeah. Just last bit. I'm surprised that Padres isn't there yet. I, I really am. Like, what part of doing? I thought, yeah, job. exactly. But it's, it hasn't happened yet. I'm just surprised. I just had to, like, it just came to my head. I'm like, what is he doing? He's got a, he's got a cushy job on BN Sports over in the oh, far he can go east. To the he's far not west. going anywhere. I can see him in LA. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him there. Imagine he already sees himself there. But anyway, right. Um, so, you know, talking managers, I suppose we have to cover the fact that um, as a result of Palace's 4-1 victory, Claude Puel uh, got the boot on a Sunday, of all things. It doesn't usually happen that quick. But um, I mean, from my perspective, you you could see that, you know, particularly, again, particularly looking at the way Leicester crumbled, they aren't, they clearly aren't playing for that manager. They aren't, they aren't, he doesn't, you know, he kind of doesn't come across as a particularly inspiring manager anyway. Um, but he's, he's, you know, you can look at, there's a lot of parallels to other managers where, they go into teams, they try and change the system, they try and play a certain way. And it, you know, with the players that they have that have been used to playing another way, you know, we've seen it at Palace, it just doesn't work unless you get the opportunity to change those players. And he hasn't really been able to do that quick enough. You know, the likes of Vardy have, have publicly come out and said they don't like playing for him and in the system that he plays. Um, you know, Peter Schmeichel was talking about Kasper Schmeichel wanting to leave on TV not too long ago. It really does sound like a, a mess there. And, He's borne the brunt of that. I, I don't know how you gents feel about that, Mike. Again, it's a topic you brought to the table. Um, can he feel hard feel hard done by, or is it you know a Leicester probably not quite as good as they maybe think they are? Well, yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think they are. I mean, you look at their squad, and you certainly look at them yesterday, and I don't think they've particularly got a better squad than we have. Certainly, I don't think they've got a better starting eleven than we have. So, you know, they're two points above us. I don't know what more they expect. The, the thing is, the problem is that they, they won the league and so their expectations are, are way higher. But, um, you know, they said he plays fairly boring football. I, I thought he played quite attacking football and that's that's pretty much why we managed to hit him on the break the last four times we've played him. Um, you know, he's not been responsible for all of those. But um, if he played boring defensive football, I think we'd have had a lot more trouble scoring against them. So um, I think it's more his personality. Um, you know, he's quite dull after press conferences and that kind of thing um, and it seems to be that people don't particularly like him but I, th- I don't think he's done that bad a job and I think he's he's pretty unlucky I, I assume he's getting a big old payoff so he'll be alright but um, yeah it's, it's quite surprising really yeah. I'm shocked um, I actually rate him as a manager I thought he did a great job at Southampton he got him to the League Cup and for a couple of decisions by the referee they could have won that, F- that, that League Cup and I thought he did a decent job at Leicester. Again, I just think, as Mike said, they just they just got a big heads all of a sudden. They won the Premier League. It was a one-off. It was a great story. And now they they think they're owed something. It's really strange how they got a little Ranieri and then they've just been firing man after like, I think they said it's 
the second time or third time in a row they fired a manager after losing whatever we're not winning this in six games or something like that. It's to me again, I just think Leicester fans have just a little bit too uh, you know high on their horse. They should be very happy they won it a couple of years back and just be thankful. And again, I don't think their style of play is that bad. I did hear the Vardy comments. I know that uh, Peter Schmeichel uh, said the comment, but Casper took him back yesterday and said he didn't say that. But they've got some good young players there. He was developing, you know, Gray and Barnes and Madison. I thought they played a decent style of football. I just think the fans, again, you know how it works. When the fans turn against you, it's over. I saw that happen with Holloway here and other managers with Pardew. It just, it doesn't work if, it, if they turn. And they turned on him and that was it for him. It's interesting. I was uh, reading the Leicester City forums yesterday, which I always do after we beat a team, particularly if we beat them heavily, uh, because it's not so much fun. I was up, I'm genuinely up till 2.30 in the morning reading them. Um, laughing my head off. But what really did strike me was how familiar those comments were to us earlier in the season. Lots of players being sort of taken to task. Um, they were calling, you know, saying Madison's rubbish and overrated. They were saying, you know, Barnes was their only good player. Gray's a waste of time. Uh, you know, really laying into to Harry Maguire, which on that performance is understandable. But generally speaking, the, the players were taking as much of a pasting as Puel. But it was really noticeable that they were talking about the manager playing, you know, being set in his ways, playing with the system, not, you know, being resistant to change, all these things. I'm thinking, hold on a second. I've heard all this before. And it's probably fair to say that that if you, you know, most of the teams probably sort of maybe even up seventh in the table down, you kind of get that exact same discussion happening. You know, you, you kind of get into your own little bubble as a club and you, and you sort of don't look at other teams. You look at your own situation and you get really sort of caught up in it, if you know what I mean. And I think sometimes it's good to actually take a look at how other fans are reacting and realise that you're all in the same boat. I mean, you look at Leicester, they're two points ahead of us. They had a pretty good start to the season. And yeah, they're, they're in terrible form now, but you know, ultimately they are in the table than we are. So you kind of think, well, how could you be that angry? And how could you, how do you be sacking your manager when you're in that position? Because you're not that good. But, you know, the job, as we're kind of indicating here, has become a little bit of a poison chalice over the last few years since... You know, Ranieri did what he did and then then got sacked. And it was definitely, in my view, a really hasty decision to sack Ranieri. I think if they'd just kept with him, um, I think they'd be in a much better place now. But, hey, this isn't a Leicester podcast, but I think there's lessons to learn there. So, last little bit on that, Patrick? Yeah, ironically, Fulham fans hate Ranieri now. You're absolutely right. It just the, the managing football is so difficult and it depends on the situation. You make a great point about, you know, a couple of years ago they were doing great and they were probably hasty. But again, now fans, I mean, I don't understand. Fans really, really, we are very fickle. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. And now it's the return of Forward Review, starting with Mr. D.R. Kerner. Gary Milton, tactics were spot on. Palace Ash, who said drop Mako? Carl Savage, not pretty, but deserved. Pete Mouser, totally shocked, but boom! Paul O'Hara, sit back, counter-attack. Rod Adams, a good professional performance. Ben Agmamani moving up the table. And finally, we got one directly from, well, indirectly, it's from Wilfred Zaha via the official CPFC account. Man's out here working. 
<laughs> love that one. Absolutely love that one. Man's out here working. Man's out here working. Wilf wins. Wilf does win. He wins. Yep. <laughs> Undoubtedly. And um, if that's not enough, there was also a wonderful reaction from a certain Leicester fan. Fucking score! They've scored! Fuck sake! 1-0 to Crystal Palace. There we go. Get in there! What a finish with Johnny! Get in there! Get in! 1-1, John Evans, that's a great finish. Sacco's even up there. Closing down. No, don't. He's done yet. He's done yet. Towards Zaha. And he's 2-1. I hate him. I fucking hate Zaha as well. Look at him. I can't believe what is going on at Leicester City Football Club. I can't believe it. It's a penalty to balance. First of all, we get rolled by Jeff Schluck. He puts it into the box and he goes over on whatever, I need to pay can't, I can't deal with it. Here we go. Come on, Casper. Come on, Casper. Come on, save it. No. Shit. And he has. It's 4-1 to Crystal Palace. And the fucking... Fuck off. Oh, there's so much in that. You just get I mean, some mental breakdown as it goes on and you get worse and worse. As, as I'm sure many of you have picked up, you've seen that video on, on social media and what have you. It, it's the second it's the second one where Zaha scores because he celebrates. <laughs> he actually, he smiles and clenches his fist and then immediately changes him to say how much he hates Zaha. But um, very, very odd young man, but incredibly compelling and entertaining. I want to say, you mentioned Chris by going, going on... Um social media outlets i always go on a, a club's website or in this case youtube if we've won a game so the most entertaining ones are always arsenal AFTV. tv now call it west ham tv which i told you about a couple of weeks ago and then of course this kid last night i'm telling you some of the reactions when they do these live things are just brilliant and that one is the best i've ever ever seen in my entire life i loved it yeah absolutely beautiful and um well, you know, there you go. That's what that's what happens <laughs> in the crowd at times. But like I say, I'm very, very confused by his reaction to Zaha's second goal. But so first up, we're going to talk about Roy. Roy has uh, set the record for being the oldest manager in Premier League history. Um, just jumping ahead of of the legendary Bobby Robson, and uh, and a little bit ahead of Sir Alec Ferguson on both their last um, managerial. Um, stints in the Premier League and it's kind of fitting you know the, the reaction that he got a lot of attention pre-game um, got a lot of questions about it and answered them all with uh, with good humour and you know seems to have no intention of slowing down at the moment clearly still enjoying it and you know I think what, what I really liked was the reaction of the players after the game you know you had Luca talking in glowing terms about Roy um, and Wilf dedicating his goal um, one of his goals to to Roy uh, on Instagram as well. And just, I suppose we, you know, we've, we will talk about how much sort of frustration we've all had throughout the course of this season. You know, regular listeners will know, uh, I think all of us at times have, 
of question Rory and his methods, but it's funny how results do change do change that and make it a lot easier to cope with. And um, I think it's just what's really pleasing is to see that the players clearly love working with Roy. And I, I doubted that early in the season. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hanging myself out to dry a little bit. I think it was the Southampton game that I watched the way we played, not not the the draw, the, the defeat at Sellers. And I was just convinced that the players had just lost faith with his methods. And I heard all sorts of things about you know stuff behind the scenes where people you know players were questioning the system and all that sort of stuff and you never know how much is true about what gets talked about but it's pretty clear that whatever happened at the start of the season now everybody is on the same page and there's a lot of trust and a lot of belief in Roy and the players clearly love respect respect him and, and just like I say love working with him I think it speaks volumes that the oldest managers that he's overtaken is uh, Alex Ferguson and Bobby Robson both both they're both sirs I think aren't they, um, and so obviously what he does um, has transcended the areas that he's worked in, um, and yeah I'm sure he, I'm sure there's been times where he's been questioned in most of his jobs but um, he's come through it and at no point at that time. Did anyone really think he was going to get the sack? You know, we we thought maybe we were going to underachieve. Um, but f- the people that have been calling for his head um, were definitely in the minority. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for him. And interesting fact, uh, after those three uh, gentlemen that we've just talked about, the next person, the next oldest manager is Neil Warnock. So we have two of the four oldest Premier League managers, um, which is, yeah, that's quite that's quite a stat to have, I reckon. And just to jump in, I just want to say, I think it's okay to be critical of Roy without being abusive. I think, you know, one of the great things about being a, a football supporter is the ability to criticise and talk about football. Now, I've come to the point now where I, I understand where Hodgson's coming from as far as a manager. He's an excellent man manager. You can tell that. He wouldn't have got an England job if he wasn't a man manager. That's really what it's more, mostly about because you've got players that are very talented to play for England. So obviously, that's not a problem. But you just have to manage the players and get them you know, to perform for England. As far as for, for Palace, I just think that, like I said, he's very old school. So he's very loyal. You can just tell the way he treats, for instance, a perfect example, a, a Jeffrey Schlupp player or a James MacArthur. He's not going to put them on the bench now because he believes in them. And and the truth of the matter is he believes in them and they have come through and they have performed. And that's, that's, that is to Hodgson's credit. The Maya issue is what the biggest thing I have. I get why he doesn't play Maya because he has players ahead of him that are better. I think if Maya, you know, at some point gets to play, things will be work out. But like I said, I just, I just kind of understand that he's very old school in, in his techniques. And again, as Mike and Hamburg just mentioned, the, the, the plaudits he got, Luca and Wolf, both dedicated goals to him. They obviously really, really like him as a manager. And I think that's part of the reason we've done so in the last six or seven matches. And I think, you know, again, to criticise him is okay, as long as you're not abusive. And I think he's done a really good job, again, from the standpoint of, you know, getting our players to perform. I think the squad, honestly, Hamburg and I have mentioned before, I think our squad has always been decent. Now you're seeing it. You're seeing guys like Dan come through and Kelly come up through and other players stepped up and, and done really well. Boy, boy in Batch, why he's done well. And I think, you know, just seeing that, you see that we've got some potential. I think that's what, that's what fans really uh, want to see is that our squad do well and we have been doing well and long may it continue. Yeah, I think that's the main thing with Roy is the fact that if you look at our squad, we've actually got good players and we should be higher up in the table rather than fighting in a relegation battle. 
However, if you actually look at um, even last week, um, before even before the Leicester game, when we were three points above the relegation zone, people, w- there's not much of a fear of us going down because we know that Roy can get us a result, whether that's a point or a win. Or, he can get us them results when we need them. So there's not that much of a of a worry going down, but it's the fact that sometimes when we're drawing games, he 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 he's happy with the draw rather than pushing on and be more adventurous and trying to get a win. And that asks the question: What if we were more adventurous this season? That's my real. I wouldn't say problem. It's just my thought with Roy. It just if he if he allow that freedom, then we might right now be seventh or you know, we might be more open because we're playing adventurous and be in the bottom three. So you don't know, but that's that's the what if. What if we uh, we played with a bit more freedom? That's my only no, you, little criticism. You're, no, you're absolutely right, Dio. And it's, it's a really good point that you bring up because it's exactly where where I have that that concern and what where it, it, you know, it came to a head earlier in the season and I was talking on this show about how, you know, something has to change and, and I didn't believe that Roy was capable of it. So, you know, I was kind of just asking the question, does that mean that the manager has to change? And, you know, I think we're right to be able to have that discussion. But as, as I said at the time, I'd be delighted if it if it if that problem went away. And I feel that it has. But, the, you know, the Leicester game was a, was a kind of perfect microcosm, if you like, of, of what we're talking about. Because first half was poor, really poor. And you were looking at that and you were thinking, God, dear, I wish... You know, either Schlepp or MacArthur wasn't playing and, and Max Mayer was because he would be in that massive, huge sort of circular space between Batshuayi and, and the, the central, central midfield. And you'd have that link-up play between, you know, Townsend and Zaha and other options rather than either trying to take someone on or knock it back to a fullback. And that's where the frustration comes from. And again, some, you know, something that Patrick was saying, it's about the squad. You're looking at it and, and like you say, Dale, we, Dale, we could be more, we could be higher up the table if we were more adventurous, but you're spot on. How do we know? We, you know, it's that you can't say that just because if we attack more, we'll definitely score more goals and we we'll definitely win more games. But you can understand us as fans saying that because, you know, again, watch that first half and it was wrong. That first, we were set up wrong. There were mistakes, so you would have every right to question the manager at that point. Um, I, I was I was on Love Sport after the game talking about it, and I said. You know, Roy keeps making us look stupid as supporters because we all rant about the team selection pre-game and we start moaning about the first half. We end up winning the game 4-1 and just like, oh, Roy, Roy was right. Um, I got a response to that from, from uh, Stuart Shave, I think he was, saying it's almost as if Roy's 40 years in the game means he knows more. And, and I totally get that. So, you know, so I think we've said similar on the, uh, the show before. Of course, Roy knows more than we do about his players. But one thing I would say to that is, it doesn't invalidate a, a football supporter's opinion, you know. I, I'd say probably the majority of, of regular Palace fans have, for example, seen more games Wilfred Zaha has played than Roy Hodgson has, and we're we're entitled to make our judgments on what we see. And it doesn't just because we aren't football managers, it doesn't mean our opinions are invalid and we can't question what we're seeing. But at the same time, you know, Roy knows his his onions, as the phrase goes, because. We are we are getting results, and that's one thing I would definitely say about Roy, is that if we need a result of all the managers we've had in, in recent times, he's the one I would say will, will pretty much guarantee us it. Even more than that, you back his defensive tactics um, in a way that you haven't backed. Well, I assume you haven't backed a lot of our recent managers. Um, you know, let's take take the Doncaster match. 
2-0. At no point did it look like we were going to concede. Um, and it was a bit of a banana skin of a game. Um, but if there's any manager that could manage that kind of game, it's Roy Hodgson. Um, and that's what we, we've needed for a while. You know, some, some kind of stability, especially at the back. Um, so, so I think right now I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to swap him for anyone. I don't think. No, which is, I have to say for me, it's been a significant turnaround. You know, I, I you know I'm being honest. I, I I did lose faith, and I, I I don't know if I feel embarrassed about it. I think that I think there, there were obvious reasons for it, and I, I think I'm probably far from the only one. But I'm so so happy to be to be proved wrong, and um and long may that continue. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, um, second thing uh, I want us to get into today. Um, there's a discussion over the centre-back pairing of, of Sacco and, and Tompkins. Obviously, Sacco went off injured during the game, and hopefully that's that's not too bad. But there's a lot of talk about whether or not it's our best ever centre-back pairing. Um, I suppose a lot of it depends on how long you've been following Palace uh, and how you kind of deal with the mists of time and the, the you know the effect of nostalgia and all that kind of stuff um you know first of all from my my perspective i've got to say sacco is is a fantastic player and because of that uh that tendency to have a little bit of a moment in a game which let's face it has been a lot less this season um and he's played a lot more football this season than than he had previously um i think he, he still gets underrated even though people like him and respect him and think he's a great player I think he's even better than than most people give him credit for so that I'll say that about Sacco Tompkins is a very effective defender really good on the ball and I think the combination just works brilliantly you know Tompkins is very comfortable as right-sided Sacco very comfortable as left-sided there's no conflict there they don't get across each other very much they cover each other really well and the fact that both are comfortable on the ball make them really, really good for the modern game. Um, you know, I, I go back to, to Young and Thorne, really, as the two centre-backs I was most impressed with when I first started watching Palace. And they were just so, so dominant. And, and again, were, were better on the ball than people gave them credit for. But they were terrifying as, as a centre-back partnership. And I, I can't think, in between, I don't think there's anything that matches. So for, for me, those two pairings uh, are right up there and I'll be hard pushed to pick between them yeah and I go way 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 back <laughs> unfortunately you know I've been watching Palace since the early 70s so I grew up watching I've mentioned it before you know the old team of the 80s so I remember the pairing of Jim Cannon and Billy Gilbert and the people who remember them uh, Gilbert came through the academy Jim Cannon came through as a 
as a youth player, scored his first goal, I think 74 against Chelsea as a, like a 17-year-old. Great defensive partnership, but the game's evolved in that 40-plus years since then. I mean, Gilbert and Cannon were old school, good in the air, great in the tackle, get up from a corner and score a goal, but they couldn't play football like these two. And going to Sacco and Tompkins, Sacco first, he amazes me in the way he can play football. Perfect example is the is the 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 the, the goal that Will scored. He takes the ball out of defense and just keeps going and going, plays the ball out wide. It's it's just amazing his ability to, to actually play football as a centre half. And I know that people get on his case for his overplaying, but you got to understand the modern game has totally changed. You don't kick the ball into Rosette anymore. You just don't. I mean, I'd like to see him do it once in a while, but that's not how you play. If you watch any modern football team, the top teams, Man City, Chelsea, they all play out the back. Sacco is perfect for that. Tompkins, as a compliment, is brilliant. What I like about him most, besides the picture of him and Guaita yesterday, is just the way that he shepherds a player like Wanda Saka and helps him and helps help develop him as a player. We've got a steal in, in Tompkins. And then you look at Kelly, just signed a new contract, has been brilliant as a backup. I've underrated him for a long time. I'm not going to lie. I think uh, his uh, uh, role under Pardew hurt, his, hurt him because he's playing in a position he wasn't familiar with. That really hurt him a lot. And then I have always been a huge Scott Dan fan, another player who's a great footballer and a great leader. So I think as far as centre-halves, we have the best four we've ever, ever had. And I think, uh, you know, that has been one of the reasons why, again, I give go back to giving Roy kudos, is that the reason why we're so good as a team is that we are so solid defensively with those two in the middle or those four, whichever two play. You had PVA and Wan-Bissaka. I think that defense is so good. And I think that's the reason why we're off to such a solid base. And like Diaz said before, I think we should be further at the table. And I think our defense can take us further at the table, hopefully, this season. Yeah, uh, spot on, really. Absolutely spot on. Um, from from a man that sort of became a Palace fan in the early 2000s. I mean, I I can't compare, you know, like I can't think about young, you know, I'm talking about like Greg Berhalter and stuff like that. So, you know, slightly different, different set of circumstances. But if you look back to 2013, I, f- I think if I remember rightly, our first game in the Premier League was against Spurs. So I've just looked that up. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure it was a 1-0 loss at Spurs um, from what I remember. And our back four was Joe Ward, Danny Gabadon, Damo and Dean Moxie. Um, so you're, you're talking about straight ahead, absolutely straight ahead. Um, we've got four four decent centre-backs, um, any of which I would say um, I'd be happy with in the first 11. The one thing I would say, if, if you're literally going to split hairs, and I'm just saying this to be a bit of a bastard, um, Scott Dan is a threat for headers in the box when we've got corners, that kind of thing. Um, Sacco seems to be able to miss the goal regardless of how close he is to it. Uh, Tompkins, you know, he scores the odd header, but he hasn't been that prolific this season. So um, I think maybe the one thing they're missing is considering they're they're lanky guys, um, you know, maybe a bit of aerial threat at the front. But, you know, you you wouldn't swap them for anyone we've ever had, or certainly anyone I ever remember. Um, And... you you just feel confident with them with Guita behind them. Um, I I've never felt more confident than I than I do right now. So absolutely spot on. You've got to say they probably are our best uh, centre back partnership. In terms of um, Sacco and Tompkins missing headers, I think overall we've been poor from corners all season long. Uh, yes, they've missed some 
obvious chances. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm not saying that they haven't, but we've just been poor from corners overall. But from my era, like even when we got promoted to the Premier League, I was 13, so I'm still young. But it just it shows like Tompkins and Sacco is, is the best partnership individually. But what makes them so good and makes us good as a team is the fact that they've been coached well. If they wasn't coached well, yes, they've got a the talent there, but. You know, um, if they, you know, if Roy didn't start the midfield and the rest of the team to defend as a team, I feel like they would have struggled a bit more. But um, Roy has solidified uh, solidified the team, which makes them good as well. That's a good point. It is just about you know the the the, the good defense you know comes from like you say defending as a team. So that's a really good point you make there, Dr. I don't want to, I don't want to give some honourable mentions to some centre-backs as individuals in terms of talent. You know, Craig Moore was one that was just superb for us in a, in a very short spell. I think our, our season in the Premier League under under Dowie, where we had uh, Gonzalo Sorondo, he was a Rolls-Royce of a centre-back, if you like. But um, I'm sure there's probably a few more. Popovich, you know, was a little bit of a sort of cult hero, really. But, um, but you know, again, you, you look... Again, I suppose Damien Delaney... Um, was outstanding for a, quite a period you know, in some you know pretty impressive circumstances as well. So we've had some great, great centre backs, but you know as a pairing, like I say, I, I can only think of Young and Thorn that come close. And you know again, I, I wouldn't want to say either way, but as, as Patrick quite rightly pointed out, the game has changed. I think maybe Young and Thorn these days would perhaps not be not be up to the standard um, that that Sacco. And Tompkins reach. So it's a great conversation to be able to have, really. And um, yeah, like we say, it's hopefully going to drive us further up the table. Final point I would like to discuss before we get into some of the detail of the match. Um, it's been raised that, that, that to, to credit well Steve Parrish for, for sorting out the HF situation as the fan support has massively improved. That's the statement being made here. Um, I do want to mention, of course, that it's 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 credit to everybody who's involved in that discussion and, and that um you know resolving that situation it, it was very uncomfortable and i think it's no coincidence that the team seems to have improved and the togetherness in the stands has improved and all that kind of stuff it's been brilliant the the, the couple of matches that i've joined in with the the singing section in the cup um it's just a completely different experience being able to comfortably and positively support your team for 90 minutes. It's, um, you know, and I love the fact that we, we wound people up the other week when we beat Doncaster as well, because, um, you know, having, having in the midweek people praising the, the sort of ultra support from, from across the continent to then start laying into the palace support for doing it. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny to to annoy them, but you know, personally, I think it's made a huge difference. And yes, you have to credit the club for recognising that. And I know a lot of criticism was flying about on both sides of it um, for for how it all came about. But it definitely looks like we're we're making strides on that and moving in the right direction. Something had to be done. Um, I know the atmosphere was regressing as the years go by and it's normal in the Premier League because more tourists start coming into your stadium but the way that we started the season it was a massive drop and credit to Steve Parrish and everyone that's involved for improving the atmosphere and bringing HF back but yeah something had to be done um the atmosphere has improved but it's still not where 
I want it to be because I know that we can do better than this. So next season with the singing section, it will be interesting. My vision for the singing section is that it grows out. So basically all blocks become a singing section in the future because that's my goal. We should be, we start, we, you know, we're known for having the best atmosphere in the Premier League and we should be the first ones, you know, to do something like that, have the whole block a singing section like the homestyle. That's my next vision. Um, the atmosphere has improved, but as I said, um, when away fans were coming into our stadium and after five minutes singing, where's your famous atmosphere? It really hurt me personally because where like where has it gone? You can't really reply back to that. So yeah, but I, there's still room for improvement as well. I want to add though, that's the, I'll tell you right now, you guys are so lucky. That's the one thing I miss about not being in England anymore is I can see every Palace match on TV, but being at the at the matches is the is always, was always my favourite thing. It's why I come back every few years to watch Palace play. It's, it, it really has improved. Um, I know that, you know, historically our away sport has been really good, so that's not really in question. But I have to admit, over here, the media, because a couple of the people that do the games over here happen to be Palace fans, they did they did spotlight on the fact that there was such a little atmosphere beginning the year. And it's, you can tell from West Ham, which was the mo- most recent home match, I believe, yeah, that the atmosphere has gotten better. And then again, you know, the Doncaster away game and even yesterday's match, you know, it's been brilliant. And I think, again, people like to criticize Parrish. I'm actually a pretty big supporter of his, and I you know it's funny when people criticize him. We're in the best time we've ever had as, as, a, as a club, and I think people take that for granted. And again, like Dio's only been a fan of the Premier League era. He's very lucky. <laughs> I've been through a lot of lot of downs in, in the few ups, and, I, and I'll say again, he's done a great job. And I, again, Kudos to the fans because, again, it really does make a difference on TV, especially seeing how the fans react at, at the stadium. All I would say is I'm not sure how much uh, sort of respect for this I'd want to give Steve Parrish. He's a businessman. He knows he knows what's good for, for his club. Um, and it's obvious that the HF are on every sort of every bit of promo that the club puts out. So it's it sort of, if anything, I would say that it dragged on a bit too long. Um, and, you know, it could have been resolved a lot quicker with the same outcome. Obviously, we've seen it happen in the uh, in the cup games. Amazing atmosphere. We've been involved in it. Very, very much looking forward to next season, assuming that we go in the singing section. Um, but it's the HF that deserve the credit for me. Uh, Steve Parrish has just done what any, any business person would do. It, it, you know, I'd do the same thing. Um, I I don't want to, you know, he's a great man, done great things for the club, but I think maybe he shouldn't get too much credit for this personally. Yeah. So for me, I, I'm not massively concerned about giving kudos either way or, or, or anything really. For me, it's more about, you know where we go from here. Dr said it quite well. It's it's you know that the I think next season people are going to be incredibly sort of shocked by how the the level it goes up. You know I know the guys in the HF are extremely excited about it. Uh, I really hope that the rest of the the support get behind it. I know there's plenty of interest in people joining that singing section and yeah, it's it's difficult. You know, and I think a lot of people have said. It'd be better to do a full reset of the lower Homesdale. Well, you know, then it's, I think that's just a can of worms to open up, to be honest with you. Um, but whatever happens, I think, again, I go back to, it was pretty clear we had to, as, as has been said, we have to, we had to do something to address the decline in atmosphere. Um, because DR is exa- exactly right in what he says. Being able to hear the away support saying, where's your famous atmosphere? It hurt because 
even if they tried to sing that before, you wouldn't have heard it. And the fact that you can hear it proves their point. And, you know, we, as I've said before on this show, we all took so much pride in, in the respect and the admiration we got as supporters. And we all like took a bit of credit for that. And we talked about how wonderful our fans were and all that sort of stuff. But when it came down to it, you know, we were all responsible for letting that slip. So long may the upturn continue. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, right direction right now. I uh, I heard I was listening to the Football Weekly show the other day, the the Guardian show, and they were talking about the comparison between the UK crowds and German crowds and which one was better. And they said that the the German crowds tend to have these kind of very much planned um, or orchestral style. Uh, fan base that will sing songs regardless of what's happening so there'll be a kind of reflective thing over here you know somebody will say there's someone behind you scream at you um, and that won't come through at German crowds because they're still singing the same thing and the HF have kind of got that and you've got to remember that at the moment they've got whatever is 180 seats 400 next year it is going to be huge it's going to it's going to feel like um, the kind of European ties that you watch on TV when you know the big four the big six play so it is exciting times, definitely. Okay, that's great. Right, moving swiftly on, we, um, we're we going to get into a bit of match chat now. Obviously, it was a 4-1 victory. I'd sum it up pretty much saying really poor first half, extremely. I was almost embarrassed to go in one up and um, the nature of the goal was pretty, pretty funny as well. Um, it was a better second half performance and we'll talk about why that was uh, in a little bit. I, I will say, you know, I think, the end result did hide just quite how how abject that first half was, and I was really pleased to see the players sort of on mass come out and say how poor they felt it was. I think Van Arnold said it on Twitter. A couple of the interviews after the game, I think Wilf and, and Luca both said they didn't feel it was acceptable. And you know, Leicester will feel very hard done by, especially Claude Puel now he's been sacked. So obviously, very very tough on them, but who cares? <laughs> it's a good three points for us, um, and ultimately, it was a perfect way to win the game, to to play on the counter-attack, to take our chances. That's the big thing. It's amazing to be that clinical. Um, and again, away from home, be that clinical. Four goals out of five shots on target, I think it was, um, which just flies in the face of, of what we've done in the past. Uh, Dio, you want to jump in before we move further? Yeah, um, I think in the first half, it was pretty much Leicester opening us apart with the diagonal balls to the left-hand side and targeting um, Joe Wood. Um, Joe Wood struggled against Barnes. He just couldn't handle his fast footwork. And another thing in the first half that, that changed in the second half was the fact that more players were showing themselves. Um, in the first half, there was a massive separation between the midfield, the attack and the defence. Just players wasn't coming for the passes and there were so many misplaced passes as a result. So in, in the second half, another thing that Roy changes is the fact that he told the players to actually comfortable. Um, that was a mistake that he did in the start of the game, but credit to him for changing the part. And that pretty much changed the game, really. Definitely. Let's, let's talk about that the, the change really at halftime. Um, so we got, we got a question in from Mr. Cabris Parrot, who says, uh, can you discuss the tactical change made at halftime? And Mike, I know you wanted to talk about the fact that we were playing deep and then less deep and whether that was the difference. And I think that's all tied into the same thing. So the tactical change at halftime, weirdly, was to actually drop... Zaha and Townsend further back and, and have them effectively mark the fullbacks when Leicester were in possession. And it's weird because I remember in, f- in the first half I was tweeting, we've got to get some support up to, to Batshuayi because he's 
you know, we, we're, we're punting the ball up long to him. And even if he does get hold of it, which he was doing a fair bit, there's just nothing for him. And when we were finding Zaha, there wasn't enough. Pe- there weren't enough people around him either. Uh, and Townsend was almost completely marked out of the game in, in the first half. So for me, it was about. I felt we needed to get players further forward, but weirdly, by by dropping those two back, it completely re-enabled the counter attack, and it it gave the midfield a bit more ability to get on the ball and a few more options. And I think that relaxed the team as well because all of a sudden there were two or three or four options for a pass when they had the ball instead of one, you know, which tended to be either knock it back to the player who played it and, and or, or lose it. And that's where we were first half. Well, for all intents and purposes, it felt more like a 4-3-3 um, than other games. Uh, Zahar, Batshuayi and Townsend up front. And I felt like, because they were playing a 4-3-3 as well, and Tielemans and Madison were doing exceptionally well uh, and uh, as DR said Madison and, and Harvey Barnes were absolutely overrunning Joel Ward and he didn't seem to have quite the cover from James McArthur that you usually expect um, it seemed to me like Roy had decided that the best thing for it was for us to sort of s- sort of decide that we'll have a few more men back you know flood, flood the midfield a little bit more Um and that worked very much in our favour. So I don't know whether we were playing further up or it was the fact that we had the extra man when we hadn't had in the first half. Um, and he just maybe underestimated the standard of the, the middle three, the, the midfield three that they had. Um, but it totally changed the game. And I, I'm not sure it made a great deal of difference how many people we had up top because we were playing entirely counter-attacking football. So it, it worked a lot better whether there was one in front of the others or two um, for that to happen, just because it meant that we could break out so much quicker than what we were doing in the first half. Yeah, and um, just looking at the way Zaha plays second half, um, in the first half, Ricardo was able to get down uh, their right side a lot more. And I think I looked at the whoscore.com and I noticed that Zaha actually played a little bit higher and towards the middle in the second half. And he was much closer to Batshuayi. And I think that forced Ricardo to stop having to be able to, you know, get forward. And I think that was able, and as Mike just said, that really helped us on our counter-attack because uh, on, I guess, or even, I would say all three of the goals were, were counter-attack driven. And uh, because of the fact, again, because Zaha was pushed more further up the field, it really helped to link up with Batshuayi, who I thought, by the way, did a really good job of holding the ball up. A lot of times in the first half, you would see him get the ball and he didn't have any help. And I know once or twice he made a bad pass, but... He does drop a lot deeper than even Benteke does or Ayu does. And he works really hard, you know, around that center midfield area as, as a striker. And I thought that really second half told when he, you know, started that the counter-attack for one of the goals. And uh, his play is just in general. Yesterday was was for a player who doesn't get the ball a lot. He really was very effective uh, as a striker. And I think that's a very good thing looking forward for us, uh, you know, as a team. Yeah, I think in terms of Batshuayi, especially in the first half, he, he kind of struggled with the passes because one, there wasn't that many options and two, it just, it wasn't really his day, Um, I'll say, because there were some simple passes. I remember in the first half, Wilf was running on the left-hand side and he could have made it, but he took extra touches and just passed a bit too late. So he didn't have the greatest of games, but then also he was a bit isolated as well. I think in terms of getting Batshuayi more involved in the game, we have to play like we did in the second half from the get-go. Because like that, you get players like Will Fernandros and like Batshuayi that kind of come back and collect a ball 
and it works better because they're more involved rather than waiting for players to pass to them. So from now on, hopefully we play like that, like we did in the second half and get them players more involved. Okay, well, thank you very much, guys, for ruining the question that I picked for uh, to discuss from the listeners later on. Much appreciated. Um, and, no, on, we, no, we didn't. and on that, um, we will be getting to plenty of your contact uh, very shortly. Um, well, we will see when we get to my, to my question how much you really <laughs> talked about the things I was going to talk about. <laughs> but um, before we before we sort of end our, our game related chat, I do want to quickly. Uh, talk about the goals because I, I think there's some some interesting points of discussion in there. Obviously, the Batshuayi goal. Um, really, I think there's two there's two things to focus on there. One was Lucas' pass in, and, and the movement of Macarthur uh, to make that because it it was really the first bit of decent attacking play that we did in in the entire of the first half. It was our first effort, and um, and Luca has started to really do that this season. Really to define some really good angles for passes and he, he really drills the pass at MacArthur. And I think the fact that his touch pops it up was a bit lucky. And, and of course the shot was probably going well wide um, and certainly wouldn't have had too much post in it by the time it, it reached the goal, but fantastic striking instincts from Batshuayi. Yeah, it comes off of his knee, but there's a deliberate movement to it. And he was having a bit of a laugh on Twitter saying, Oh yeah, definitely meant that. And a sort of laughing, crying face. Um, but you know, it's it's an instinctive reaction, and I think again he's he's sort of showing the the striker's instinct that a confident, direct striker has. Um, and we've seen our our strikers at the club again. We've talked about it. Whether whether you believe it's ability or not, or whether you believe it's it's form and confidence, you know, whatever that situation is, Batshuayi still is. You know, he's in a place where all he thinks about is scoring goals. I really like to see that in a striker and it's great to have confident forward play. So really good point, Chris. And uh, I'll harken back to when Benteke was doing well when he scored those 17 goals. He had that confidence. Batshuayi is a confident player. That goal that he scored, I'm not sure how many strikers would have scored that goal because, you know, I actually wrote down my notes that I laughed when it went in because I didn't know what part of his body came off of. But watching on replay, you know, I meant to have watched it, watched it now. It was a deliberate uh, attempt by him because McCarthy's shot was going well wide. So, he just has he just says something now, and I, I think it goes to the rest of the match when we had our conversion rate. You talk about four, I think it was four goals at uh, seven shots on goal, and four out of five on on target. That's ridiculous. We've always we've lamented the entire season how we don't convert our chances. That's why was involved in the in the last you know on the on the Luca penalty when he took that shot and he hit the post. It went out and then Schlupp gets tackled. He's really got some instincts about him which we saw in from his first match against the Fulham when he made that great turn that we haven't had in a long time. And I'll tell you right now, having a confident striker, I think it reverberates the entire, the entire team. And that's what we saw yesterday. Speaking of instincts, um, him being offside for the second one or in an offside position uh, was absolutely key yep. to a score in it. And uh, I, I was really impressed with that because, you know, that was that was totally deliberate. That was planned. Um, and that, that's nice to see because you, you won't see that from IU and you you probably won't see it from Benteke. I'm really impressed with his part in that goal. You mentioned IU. Um, just look at, in terms of confidence in, in strikers, just look at the goal that IU scored against Wolves. It seemed like he, t- he flipped, like, you know, flipped the switch and started playing much better. So... Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an easy goal that Batshuayi scored. It was a bit lucky, but yeah, as Chris said, it was you know great instincts. But uh, hopefully, this will you know change him and um, give him more confidence. 
Definitely. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, the second goal, uh, you know, Batshuayi being being offside. The fact that the only thing that I could think about, to be completely honest with you, even though it's a really good finish from Wilf, and I've got to credit him for, you know, usually you think about Wilf trying to finish a chance and what he tends to do is just put his foot through it and sometimes it flies in the net and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it was a really controlled, powerful side foot volley. And that was great to see. And you could see the absolute joy on Hodgson's face. And I think Will actually mentioned it in his post-match interview. He talked about control of the finish. Uh, and that's clearly something he's worked on. And that, that's a big thing. If Wilf has, has been able to add that level of control, you know, they could get a fair few goals before the end of the season. Um, I, I really do think that. But there was a huge contribution in, in the second um, goal from Batshuayi early on in the move because he'd, he'd actually dropped into his own half. You know, really held the ball up well, saw off a couple of players, and he, you know, and he's the one who shifts the ball out wide first. And for him to be the furthest forward player when the ball came in from MacArthur, which great ball, by the way. Um, but all I can really honestly think about is if Zaha actually tacks that, tucks that back across the six yard box, uh, Batshuayi is onside because it's the next phase of play, has a tap in, and I'm £625 richer. So have a think <laughs> about that, Wilf. Your mansion. That six hundred twenty-five pound would have meant something to me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, the, the penalty was clear uh, for the third goal as well. Uh, Luca doesn't miss those, and again, that you mentioned the shot from Batshuayi from it, fantastic, instinctive shot. That shot, the fact that he had it, that was his second shot on target, did win me seventy pounds. So I let you off there, <laughs> and um, I, I, I think you know, shame he didn't score it because, and again, I would have been richer as well, but. Uh, yeah, great to see that penalty tucked away. And again, we mentioned you mentioned are you earlier on DR. It was all about him, the fourth goal where he made a great tackle on Maguire, perfectly timed pass, and it's nice to see Will finish that one as well. Lovely little dip on the shot just before the keeper, so it means he doesn't save it. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant way to finish off the game. Um, you know, very very strong performance overall. In the end, you know, you, you kind of think about the first half. And the fact that Leicester were winning it after their equaliser, and I've got to be honest, as soon as they put that equaliser in, I was convinced they'd go on to win the game because of how we played first half. But, you know, it seems like a ridiculous thing to think when you've beaten the team 4-1. I think we're now five games or six games unbeaten. And I don't know about you guys, but it doesn't really feel like it. And that's what I mean with Hodgson. It just gets the results. But, like, it, 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 we haven't played that brilliantly. We can still play much better. Which is which is uh, which is good to see because we've got Brian coming up and I know um, it relates to my question, but we we can even flip the switch even more. Um, we're we're going to answer the listener question in a second, but that's that's a that's another positive to look at. Well, on Talk Sport the other night, they were they were asking, they were saying when I said that I thought that we'd undersold ourselves so far this season and we'd be absolutely fine and wouldn't go down. Um, and the presenter was like, oh, well, that's you talking with your head rather than your heart. And I just thought, oh, fuck off. Like, just just, just shut up. Like, it's a, And the Leicester game, that goal absolutely proved it. Like, he'll go back and he'll think about that, hopefully, and realise how wrong he was. Right, as a special treat for you is a, a new regular feature as well. I'm going to introduce you now to Chewy. That's Mike, Michael. And Hello. And is it, are you a Michael QL or is it actually Chewel and that's why you're called Chewy? Uh, no, it's Kuel. Chewy is a whole Star Wars related nickname. Are you sort of giant and hairy? Is that what the situation is? At times, yeah. <laughs> Good, glad to hear it. <laughs> Can't lie. Anyway, 
anyway, you uh, not only doing a wonderful job as a as a editing of um, our, the writing side of our website and writing some superb articles, you've also got a, a keen interest in the the CPFC um, ladies team um, who you've been following pretty closely this season. And um, yeah. well, obviously, it was a, a highly publicised game played. Um, What's well, this week? The, the weekend just gone, isn't it? I think. And um, they, they're Thursday night, yeah. Thursday night, yep. Uh, players in attendance, lots of fans in attendance, building a bit of momentum. So, uh, tell us a little bit about you know how you got interested in the ladies' team and, and what's been going on. Um, for myself personally, I've been wanting to sponsor a player for a while. Um, not to self-promote, but I've written a book and I wanted to sponsor a player with my book. But uh, the men's side of things is a bit of a rip-off, I'm not going to lie, it's very expensive. Um, and then I saw an article was run last summer about the ladies' team. Um, ironically, it was an inaccurate article, uh, claiming that we had no money, we were making the players have to pay for stuff, and which which was a load of ball. Um, but I saw on it that you could sponsor the ladies. So I contacted Paula Johnson, the club secretary, um, found out about costings and such, and uh, took the plunge and signed up and sponsored a player. You, you can self-promote. What's the book? Uh, it's called The Lost King. It's a fantasy fiction book, medieval fantasy fiction. It's the, the first of four, if I ever get them written. All right. Okay, so like, you know, new Game of Thrones, maybe? Oh, well, you know, that'd be nice. <laughs> well, it's finishing, isn't it? So um, but let's not talk to, uh, turn this into Game of Thrones chat, although I've got some theories I'd like to share, but maybe that's for another time. Um, so what's uh, what's it like watching, watching the ladies for those who haven't done so? Do you know what? Thoroughly enjoyable. Um, I think we're all guilty of a bit of a mindset. We've all had it, you know, growing up between men's and women's football about the quality of it. But it's wrong, you know. I mean, the first game I went to was Leicester at home, the opening game of the new championship season. And I was hooked straight away, to be honest with you. It's, it's great It's great fun from what you see on the pitch to in the, in the stands. You know, with a small number of us, the atmosphere that you generate is it is such good fun. I can't deny it. And I, I highly recommend that more people go down and experience it. So I haven't um, gone down there myself, Chewy. So um, what I'm, you know, said the atmosphere is good. Um, what what gra- ground do they tend to play at? Is, is it is it Bromley? Yeah, all the home games are uh, Hayes Lane, Bromley. Um, which I don't know if anyone any of you have been down there, but you've got one small stand at the moment. They are building a new one at one end. Um, there's one small kind of seated stand uh, where you've got the boxes and all that as well, where the players come out of. And then the rest of it's terrace. Um, the big question I've got is: Are you allowed to drink your beer in view of the pitch? Yes. There you go. I'm <laughs> selling it already. Whether officially you're allowed to or not, <laughs> I don't know. But I've seen enough people doing it. All right, there you go. Huge positive, Mike. I'm sold. Um, talk us through how they lost three 0 um, against Lewis. Right. I have to say. It's- Probably a game typical of the season that they're having. Um, and some of what I'm going to say is probably going to sound very familiar to the men's this season as well. Um, I think, as, as I mentioned earlier, it was quite publicised. Uh, they've got a good crowd down there for it, say a couple of players. Um, whether the occasion of that perhaps got to them at the start, I don't know. But we started okay, to be honest with you, moving the ball around. And then about 10 minutes in, um, Ashley Hinks, one of our strikers, uh, committed a, a silly foul really in the box, a typical probably like strikers foul, to be honest with you, um, to give away a penalty, and that put Lewis 1 0 up. 
Um, and then we kind of huffed and puffed the rest of the half, but found it difficult to uh, get much going. Had a couple of couple of half chances. Um, and Nikita, one of our other strikers, there's a shout for her being fouled in the box, which the referee gave nothing. Um, I, was, I was watching it online. I couldn't make it down on the day. But on the replay, it looked like it could possibly have been a penalty. Um, that's where you kind of miss all the all the super angles you get now with Sky and such. But um, second half, we came out all over them. Um, whatever they've said at half time by Dean Davenport, the manager was working. Um, it was all of us. It was all us. Uh, it just wasn't going in the back of the net. We just it's been a problem we've had all season. Really, we just not taking the chances when they came along. Um, we then made two subs, and I think in the process of those players coming on, we just lost the concentration because in seconds they found a way through and uh, scored a beautiful goal, to be honest with you, to make it 2-0 when it just knocked the stuffing out of us. Um, and then later on, they got a, third, they got a second penalty, tucked away 3-0. And even then, though, we didn't stop. I mean, Nikita, again, looked like she was fouled in the box, nothing given. And um, we had a couple of chances, kept going up to the end of the final whistle, but just, just could not put it in the back of the net. And as I say, that probably kind of sums up our season, really. Dodgy referee decisions, we've had loads of those, absolutely tons of them. Um, not taking our chances and then individual errors that have kind of been costing us. Um, it's just frustrating because it came against a team we were level with on points ahead on goal difference and we could have really kicked up another place in the table and instead we're looking over our shoulder again a little bit. Yeah, I've noticed um, there's been a really big push on the the club side in general to... Uh you know, kind of promote the, the women's game, which has been great. I've noticed a lot of the social media stuff promoting them, etc. What do you think you know, like the club's plans are going future with the assisting women's team? I think to push it as hard as they can. Um, I think, you know, Steve Parrish, we all have our moans about him at times in certain ways he does things. But like us, he's a Palace fan. And I think the impression I get is he wants to see us succeed on every level. Um, and so the aim would be, you know, we're in the championship. It's the... The second tier, there is that caveat of the, the super, women's super league, um, which I think we'll be desperate to get to this season. It just was never never going to be possible uh, because they re- reformatted it. Everyone had to apply to get into this league. We had a great case for it; should have got in originally, didn't because Man United paid tons of money to reform a team and took our place effectively. Um, and then we got in it three weeks before the season started, when we had. Uh, lost all our key players, had been preparing for a league below. So we started off on the back foot. Um, and then you've got, when you've got, we've got a budget probably of a, a few hundred thousand, if anything, as that as part-time team. And United have got a five million pound budget and are full-time. It's kind of a big gulf. But I think hopefully United will move up next season. Um, I think we'll, we can prepare, as long as we stay up, of course, we can prepare for being at this level. And I think we're going to give it a go. I really think that we, the aim will be to keep putting in what we can, keep trying to raise the identity of the women's side of it and, and really push them up, trying to get them into that top league. Actually, how exactly does it work then, um, getting promoted to the elite division? Is it like you apply for it or is it just normal promotional and relegation like like how it is with the men's? No, it's at the moment, it's a bit complicated. It's kind of like when he dropped down into um, non-league with men's at times where it's not, it's not quite as straightforward as just, Oh, we finished top, we go up. Um, 
to be in the Super League, the top league, you've got to be full time, um, of which we aren't at the moment. So, like for example, Ashley Hinks, who we signed in the summer, she's already said in an interview, if we went up, she wouldn't be able to play anymore because of her job and everything, she couldn't go full time. So you, you've got to a finish those positions, and then B, I think it's like fun, it's based on like finances and structure and everything, because um, it. It's the same with the relegation side of it. No one's hundred percent sure whether someone gets relegated this season from the championship, or if they don't. There's talk of maybe one team goes down and two come up because at the moment it's it's an uneven eleven team league, and they want to make it twelve. But even then, teams come up into the championship have to meet certain criteria to qualify for it. So, unfortunately, it's not quite as as clear cut as we'd love it to be. Um, I think for someone like United, if they finish top, they go up. Um, and I imagine the same for Spurs. Um, but as I say, if, as long as we, like next season, I think if we're in a position where we can go full time, then if we got into a promotion spot, I'm sure we'd be able to go up, no problem. Yeah, it sounds to me like, you know, obviously the, the more backing that the, the you know, the ladies club get from the fans as well, the more attention it gets, the the easier it will be to, to finance something like that. So I think it's important that the, the fans hear that and play a part as well. So we're going to leave it there, Tree, for this week, but we'll be checking in with you regularly throughout the course of the season. So thank you very much for sharing and we'll speak to you soon. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. Okay, it's time for your listener contacts. <laughs> and uh, we've all chosen some of our favourites. Thanks to everyone else who got in touch. We read them all. We appreciate them all. They do help us shape what we're doing, so keep it all coming. Uh, but I've chosen a tweet from Kevin T., uh, and he said, Batshuayi over Benteke, then Ayu over Benteke. Does this give a signal? And also meant to mention in that, that Palace Ash said, did you see Benteke fail to even score a high five this weekend? Very awkward moment uh, with Benteke on the bench, trying to go for a, a little bit of a high five slash handshake with Coyote as he's stripping, stripping to get on the pitch. And uh, he has to... He has to kind of give up, but it was a, it was an awkwardly long time yeah. <laughs> before he I gave up this. as well. I missed this. It was about, I would say it was about, it felt like about 40 minutes, but it's probably about 15, 20 seconds at least, where he just held his hand out and he just, you could just see his arm slowly sort of dropping as he, he kind of thought, well, this isn't going to happen, isn't it? He's not looking at We've me. We've all felt that pain. You know, We've all felt that pain at some point. <laughs> I think the cameraman yeah. actually noticed that and like purposely they didn't, they didn't just switch it. <laughs> They're just waiting to see how long he's going to go in for because he just, like we saw, yeah. we saw Kyoto getting ready to come on, but it's like, all right. Move on. It's, it didn't move on. It felt like ages. <laughs> See, he's too polite there. If that ever happens to me, I actually, I would just shout. After about three or four seconds, I'll go, hey, got my hand out here. Um, doesn't usually get your hand shaken. You usually get some sort of other gesture as a result of that. But at least it's a reaction. But um, there you go. Very, very funny uh, moments to watch. I think the question, we, we've pretty much talked about Batshuayi and how well I, I, he played. I think it does give a signal to a degree. And, and I think it should. You know, ben, Benteke... Still, you know, he was out a long time, you know, and there's still a lot of rust to shake off. But there's also a, a year's worth of poor form to shake off as well. Um, it's better for him that he has that level of player ahead of him because he now knows where he needs to raise his game to. And look, there'll be plenty of opportunity for him to play. And look, you think, I couldn't think anything else in that first half other than it would be much better to have had Benteke up front to kind of, to, to, to be more of a physical presence. And I keep think, kept thinking, what if we could somehow fit in Benteke and Batshuayi alongside each other and somehow fit in Max Mayer as well um, and all those kinds of things. 
I think Benteke offers an awful lot in terms of holding the ball up, link-up play. Um, and if you get proper crosses in, which we so rarely seem to do when he's playing, um, he, is, he is a real threat in the box. But, hey, he, he's not been in good form for a while. He's been out injured a long time. Batshuayi is confident, he's direct, and he's having a real impact when he's been playing. So he has the shirt, and rightly so. Okay, so I'm going to go for a comment from Neil Koska. Thank you, Neil. Does anyone else think there's a real Tonkin coming from Palace? Imagine if we fired on all engines and then he's put... Yeah, the one thing I'd say, Neil, engines and then you've put an apostrophe S. Engine, apostrophe S. There's no need for that, but fair enough. Uh, Imagine if we fired on all engines. I'm hoping Brighton will be the recipients. Um, I would say that we kind of fired on all engines in that game, really, considering that we scored almost every shot we took. But I'm guessing you're referring to sort of the games where we're, we're sort of shooting 30, 30 times. Um, if you ever listen to Tompkins after the game, Zahar after the game, as Chris has alluded to, um, they both talked about the fact that this season we've we failed to capitalise on chances. So it's obviously something that's at the forefront of the minds of the players. So I do expect it will come. And... It might not be, you know, a massive sort of 5-0 win, um, but it, it might just be a result over one of the big boys that we've still got to play. Um, but I feel like, you know, against Liverpool and certainly against Man City, that that's already come. So I think it's it's more just a case of it happening again, really, to be honest. I think, yeah, I think that's my point earlier on, is just the fact that, yes, we are five games unbeaten, but we haven't particularly like played that great. And I think we've got in our locker to have a game like we did against Leicester last season at home where we just played fantastically going forward, great passes. And I don't know if it will happen against Brighton because I'm not, a, you know, I, I can't read the future. But I, it definitely, I can see it definitely, another game just like Leicester at home last season happening soon. But no, on, on, the, on the subject, I totally get what Neil's saying. Um, and, and I think whether it will happen or not... It, you know, you kind of have to have that perfect storm, don't you, of a, of a consistently consistently great performance, and you take your chances. And um, but you know, when you consider in some of the games when we've created clear cut chances in the sort of you know eight nine sort of area, um, if we are as clinical as we were against Leicester, we, yeah, we could absolutely thump someone. You know, we got a game coming up not too long uh, in the future against Huddersfield, who might already be down and. You know, might be really, really struggling at that moment. Where you could imagine that if we're absolutely on form, we could we could do something like City tend to do and totally overrun a team. But it's very important. I think you know we can think about that sort of stuff. But I very much doubt Roy would let the players get carried away and start thinking like that. I think the way we play first and foremost is to is to keep our shape and to keep our system and and you know negate the threat on the other team before we start doing too much ourselves. And you know that's been getting us results of late. So, um, you know, I hope we will very much do that to Brighton, but I will settle for, for any kind of a win after losing to, to 10 men earlier on at their place. Dear, your question up. Yes, my question is from Rob Leonard, and he asks, was that Andros's worst game this season? Um, I, I don't know if it was his worst game this season. Andros has been pretty consistent. Um, he's been He's been one of our better players this season. You can look at it two ways, though. 
did it just have a bad did it just have a poor game because every player even the greatest that you know they have that one odd game or did he miss Wan-Bissaka I honestly think that he missed Wan-Bissaka this game because their combination going forward helps Andros out a lot what, yesterday especially in the first half when Andros was getting double teamed n- normally you have Wan-Bissaka there to like get him out of trouble or another midfielder but Wan-Bissaka wasn't there and Joel Ward wasn't as effective going forward and I feel like that contributed to how Andros played yesterday it was just a case of you know missing Wan-Bissaka's presence going forward because they them two are brilliant together and you know you saw that yesterday you saw how much of a miss it was I can't get over you using that double tamed in in that particular scenario um <laughs> ignoring that um I think what that underlines because because Andros was playing uh, more in the in the four three three mode, so he wasn't so much um, playing as a midfielder. It underlines how difficult it is for the strikers because you can be out of the game for a lot longer. And I, d- I don't feel like um, Townsend had a poor game. I just think there was periods where he was he was further away from play. You know, he, there was there was less effect from him on the game, and that's more a result of the formation that we started with than anything else. Um, you know, just Sahar has that problem a lot of games where there's there's maybe whole halves, he does nothing. Um, but you know he's going to have those couple of minutes like he did, you know, Leicester. The first half he was virtually anonymous and then, you know, ends up netting two. Um, if you're going to play that, that formation, then that's what's going to happen to Townsend. Um, so I'm not sure we can blame him uh, per se for... for, for for having a fairly quiet game. And I think that's all it was, really, a quiet game rather than a poor game. Yeah, I think, you know, there's not many players that could say they had a good first half. And, and again, as we talked about earlier, the change for the second half involved making Andros do a, a much more defensive job by by sticking with the fullback. Um, and that's not necessarily something that Andros enjoys, but clearly it was effective because, you know, we went on to win the game at a canter. So... I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe we look. We all see different things when we watch games. And if you if you were sort of player watching a little bit on Andros, you might might be critical of him. I didn't notice him having a poor game, but that's maybe what Mike's saying as well. Where I just didn't notice him. <laughs> I just think he was exceptionally quiet. Um, all right, Patrick, your question up last. Uh, my question is from Sai at Saber seventy four on Twitter. It is: If Leicester go down, should we look at Barnes? Kid looks a prospect. Uh, first, Sai, thanks for the question. Um, like many, I thought he played really well. Um, Hobby Barnes is a 21-year-old kid from the um, Leicester Academy. He was on loan, actually, in championship for West Brom beginning this year. They called him back, and now he's starting to play. And um, I think he's a, a very good player. He's in the um, under-19, I believe, or under-21 England uh, side. Um, my only thing is, I don't think that's a Palace thing to do. In the past, we've looked at players like Adam Lookman at Everton and Nathan Redmond at Norwich at the time, went to Southampton. And we end up, they go, those players up going to other teams. So I don't think we we look at him. Secondly, I don't think Leicester's going down. I think that Huddersfield and Fulham are already down. And I think the third team come for maybe a Cardiff or hopefully Brighton. But I don't see them going down. So I don't think he's a player we'd even look at. And they wouldn't look to sell. I don't see why they'd sell a player from the academy. But if he goes somewhere, I think he'd go to, a, unfortunately, Everton or just I think somebody else up top there, maybe even Tottenham. But he's a very good player and I like him a lot, but I don't think the I don't think he's a palace prospect. I wish he was. I, I will say that 
I was extremely, extremely impressed with him. I don't know. I think that's probably the first sort of 90, well, not 90 minutes. He got taken off bizarrely by Claude Puel. But um, I was I was very, very impressed with him all game. You know, very confident, direct runner. Very, very strong. Um, you know, you, you can't have too many players in your side who are that comfortable on the ball. He seemed too, very two-footed to me. Puts a lovely cross in. So I, w- I would completely agree with Sai that I would love us to to target a player of that quality. Um, I, I got to, I say this, and I, it's difficult always comparing players to to well known players, but there was something about about Rooney with him, if you know what I mean, and the way he's built and the way he runs. Um, obviously, Rooney was a success from a very young age. It was you know sixteen he was playing first team football, whereas um, you know at, at top level Barnes has only just broken in at, at twenty one. Um, so you know, I'm not. I'm not. It's not a direct comparison, but you know, it's a style thing. I think. I think he could play centrally, and I think he could, you know, potentially lead a line at times as well. He looks a really, really good player. I think he is a good player, but then again, I think Wardy made him look better than he is. Uh, so I don't know. I'll have to see a bit more from him before, you know, whether I decide if we if I want him at Palace or not. Oh, well, it's good because we know obviously you get the final say on these things, Dr. And, um, oh yeah, yeah needs, needs your needs your rubber stamp on that contract before <laughs> anything happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you know I wasn't involved uh, involved with Yak and Rakip. That's why I was frustrated like two weeks ago on the pod. Um, Mikey's now put a an image I think that came from one of the tweets of um, it's the Guaita picture with Tompkins peering down his shorts, adjacent to a poster for the inability to get or sustain an erection and the two things look very very similar <laughs> and that is also very funny so check out social media for that one too um okay look we'll leave it there like i say we had so much more contact and apologies for not being able to use it all on the show but it is hugely hugely appreciated and important um so thank you for all of that cheers for listening thank you to my panel mikey for producing subscribe stuff like that <laughs> um, you know we've got three shows a week so if you subscribe you get them all five star five star uh, alright yeah uh, if you if you feel <laughs> like it if that, not, even if you don't feel like it go to your chosen podcast app and uh, and rate us five stars fair few you've been doing that it really does help spread the word about the show we seem to be picking up a fair few listeners which is uh, which is really appealing so tell your friends as well um, Dio you've got your hand up what do you want yeah just a reminder that on Love Sport we'll answer all the questions that were unanswered today so no worries oh there you yeah. go so that, that show's live on Love Sport Radio you can get that online or tune in via, via DAB if you're in the right area uh, we'll obviously be reviewing the Man United game uh, bullying Jake about the fact we thrashed his beloved Leicester um, so uh, that's on Tuesday 7 to 9pm live and the podcast will be out shortly afterwards uh, the preview show will be uh, reviewing the Man United game and also looking ahead to the Burnley match later in the week as well. So thanks very much, everyone. See you later. Bye. Man's out here working. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.